You're listening to Paris Talks Marketing. My goal with this podcast is to dig deeper into digital marketing success than any other marketing podcast out there, to reveal the growth marketing strategies and tactics that are working today, empowering growth at amazing companies and organizations. Keep listening as I interview founders, CEOs, and marketing leaders from all around the world, primarily from companies in the tech and software as a service industry. Now, on with the episode. Hi, everybody. Today, I'm really excited to be with Eugene Krugloff. And Eugene is the COO and a co-founder at AppFollow. And Eugene started his career with Accenture in 2001, then spent several years working for the Russian telecom company Beeline, where he headed its partner program. In 2005, Eugene joined his first startup. And having co-founded a company which designed mobile applications for operators, he later sold his stake in that company in 2016 to concentrate fully on AppFollow. Eugene is responsible for attracting investments and financial management of the company. He's also in charge of many different aspects of working with users. So Eugene, I hope, I, I hope that intro did you justice. Thank you for being on. Welcome, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for the introduction. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, and yes, that's pretty much a correct one. Uh, that all that happened and all the time, I'm kind of amazed with how, how much time I've been in this area already. Um, yeah. Yes, with, uh, us, with that follow- us how you- sorry. Mm-hmm. sorry, sorry, sorry. Please just tell us how, uh, how the idea for AppFollow came about. What, how did the founding story go? Oh yeah, that's a good one. Um, so it, it it happened in 2014. Um, Anatoly, who our who is my co-founder, together with Pavel, we're working together in a travel startup. And uh, Anatoly constantly had this problem of tracking changes for for other travel uh, applications on the market, and and there was a bunch of them. And as they were building a rival to Booking.com, Booking was the their primary target, but also they were interested in Expedia, Kayak, and even Airbnb. Uh, as all of them are pretty much in the same area. So he built a simple tool that would track new reviews in the App Store, collect them, and send them as an email on a daily basis. So basically, the proto version of AppFollow of 2014 was just an email, which will keep you updated on all these new reviews uh, popping up in the App Store. Uh, And uh, at that time, I was actually trying to hire him into my company previous company. But instead of that, he approached me with this idea. And as I was trying to build a few products of my own, it kind of related to me very much. I, I was really intrigued by the uh, by the concept of competitors analytics, as we called it at that time. And, and we thought that the main value of the platform would be an ability to track competitors and understand what happens product-wise with them and how their product changes in time. And based on that and the customer's feedback, uh, you can adjust your own product, um, product map and, and backlog and, and implement some, some ideas from your competitors into your, into your own solution. Uh, eventually, uh, we, we kind of kept this reviews management part and reviews analytics part, but we're not speaking about ourselves as a competitor's uh, analytics anymore. We, we believe that we are in general helping teams to, to build a better product. And competitors are just a part of, of, of that solution. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, so late 2014, we brainstormed 
the the pros and cons of kicking off uh, the, the company, whether it's worth trying or not. And uh, uh, all of all three of us uh, decided that it's actually worth trying. Uh, so we, we we set our mind to to try to build something uh, for for product managers, similar guys than than uh, that we are. And uh, that was like how everything started. We then applied for a, a acceleration program back in Moscow. And that was the one thing that actually helped us kick off and, and take off from the ground. Um, and I, I think that the first year we were mostly experimenting, but then after we graduated from another acceleration program already here in Helsinki in Finland, which was called Startup Sauna, that was the moment when we set up the company and, and we started thinking of us not just as an idea we're trying to test, but as of a business in a startup that we're trying to, to kick off and, and, and run as a company. That's awesome. And I, I have seen on LinkedIn recently that about four months ago, you all had a big fundraising, a Series A financing. That's right. Can you t- talk about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So... Um, Tolia was the one guy who was familiar with startup uh, um, ecosystem more than any of us. I was very, very concerned myself. I Mostly I was doing, my previous companies were mostly bootstrapped and I kind of didn't felt into, into investing myself. Uh, and mm-hmm. Tolia persuaded me that that's a good thing. And, and he shared a lot of ideas about how we can kick off with that. So at a certain point, we started to look for external money and we went through this classical cycle. So first, uh, we we used our own funds. Then uh, we've managed to get a few business angels on board. And uh, one of them actually worked as our advisor in the early days, helping us, again, shape the company and um, face some, some uh, early questions of like, what is the correct pricing? Uh, what is our audience? What we want to build at the end and stuff like that. Um, and and then at a certain point we fundraised from uh, our series, uh, series seed series around here in Finland, mm-hmm. Bend Up Capital, uh, and that was like a, a major blast off because we've managed to start hiring people. We've uh, we've doubled our team and and we've been able to focus not only on product as before but also on sales and marketing at a certain point, and that actually pl- played really well for the company. And then uh, at a at, at certain stage, we kind of got this feeling that we nailed it in terms of we find our product market fit. The concept of the product really started work, working out really well. In a, Within a year, we tripled our growth. And that felt like a, the result we were looking forward uh, initially. So, so that uh, actually triggered an idea of raising Series A. Initially, uh, it was planned for 2019, but instead of that, we made a small round with our current investors, and then we planned it for March 2020. <laughs> but that was a bad plan, I should say, because oh March, yeah, March 2020. 2020 wasn't that promising. Uh, uh, turned out not to be that promising as we thought of in the beginning, and with all the lockdown and pandemic happening uh, throughout the world, we had to really um, re- like rebuild our. Uh, things the way we, we, we wanted them uh, to, to happen in the company. Uh, but later on, we, we then we, we still were kind of, we were growing, even through pandemic, we were growing and the things were really, you know, happening really well for the company. And then we thought that maybe we can still fundraise. 
Uh, and with pretty much the same ideas we had in the beginning of the year, we kicked off for the market. Instead of the only change that happened was that initially we were looking forward to fundraise from US market. Uh, but we understood that during these troubled times, that will be quite complicated. So we've uh, shifted our focus towards Europe. And that is why uh, our, our Series A happened with a UK-based VC called Nota Capital. Well, they're actually pan-European VC. Nota Capital. Yeah, but uh, mm -hmm. uh, we, we particularly work with the, with the London office. So... Yeah, I've got the headline right in front of me, and, and um, I just have to ask. It says remote European startup app follow raises five million in Series A uh, to expand its all-in-one management platform globally. Not a not a capital remote European startup. Does that mean that Finland is a remote country, or does that mean that you all are a remote team? We're a remote I didn't team. quite understand that. We, okay, um, we are a remote team uh, in a certain sense by design from from early days. Uh, and that happened because, as I said, we, we kicked off the idea in Moscow, but really quite soon I had to move here to Finland, to, to Helsinki, because my wife, at that time a PhD student here in Aalto University, uh, she was expecting our daughter. And I, I and she really needed me to be here and uh, uh, help her take care of our child. So so I uh, it was a hard decision for me, but I moved from Moscow, where I was born and lived the whole my, whole my life here to Finland, to Helsinki. Helsinki was never choice number one for me. I always dreamed of Barcelona. And you can imagine that these are oh, two I, I have different seen, cities, yeah. like Love literally very different ones. Uh, so, um, but uh, that actually played really well for us. As I mentioned already, we've, we, because of that, we, we got to start up Sauna. And that was really mm -hmm. a blast in terms of all the ideas that we've managed to get into our heads going through the program. Also, learning and getting to know people from the local startup ecosystem. And, and we really met great guys and great people, um, investors, uh, founders, literally like everyone to whom we talked, they, they, they kind of felt like a, a revelation for us at that point. Uh, so and, if and I understand and correctly, helped us set up the company, but I stayed in Helsinki, okay. I stayed in Moscow and we have to learn how to work distantly. And then our, all of our first hires were outside of Helsinki and Moscow. So they were like from different towns and cities. And at the moment, the company is spread between, I think, 12 different countries or something like that. Uh, and uh, something like 20 locations. Uh, when, I, when, I, uh, when I send a message in Slack in our team, uh, team channel, and I click this you know, channel button and it shows me the warning that we're going to disturb people in something like 18 different time zones. So that is mm -hmm. how distributed we are at the moment. So you have, uh, how, many, how many total employees do you have now? Around um, 80, 80. Oh, I'm, okay. Yeah, LinkedIn seems to be uh, out, of, out of date. Oh, you yeah, have 80 probably. people spread across... You have 80 people and spread across 20 different locations. And how, how geographically spread is this? You have Europe, I suppose, Asia. Where are they all uh, spread? Well, early on, uh, we've um, uh, we've been hiring mostly from Russia and, and 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 Ukraine and Belarus because it was most like very much convenient for us to have to have Russian-speaking people on board. But then at a certain point, we started to hire outside of Russian-speaking community, and now 10% of our employees are non-Russian-speaking. Uh, so Russia, Ukraine, and Belarus were the 
like the primary ge geographies for us. And in Russia, that will be obviously Moscow, St. Petersburg, then Rostov and Don. And then we have several people spread through Siberia. And then there was one girl, she used to work in St. Petersburg, but then she moved to China. So, and, and that is probably the, the most Eastern part of the company. And then we started to hire people here in Europe. So a part of Finland, where we have a few more people uh, on top of founders. We also have uh, uh, one girl in Czech Republic, one girl in Ireland, in, in, in UK, in London. Uh, no, actually in London, we already have two people. Um, then Romania, Poland, and, and we're looking for more. So, and eventually we'll be hiring in the United States and, uh, in, and building some presence uh, overseas as well. I'm curious because our agency is a little bit similar. We mostly we're Bulgarians, but we're starting to become more distributed, not only not only distributed within Bulgaria, but even around outside of Bulgaria now. Um, I'm curious. Uh, I, I assume now that the official working language for you all is English. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah. And at some point, did you switch from primarily Russian speaking uh, Russian to English? Yeah, yeah. And I think we're still switching a little bit. I cannot say we're like completely one hundred percent switched to it. But what we did first, we identified the main uh, teams where we have to start speaking English uh, by default, and that was sales and marketing. Then it was joined by success and support because these people, uh, by default, they're talking English to the customers in English. And, and it was very convenient for them to start talking English to, to, to each other. And these were the areas where we started bringing people because the, our first, uh, one of the first hires that we have uh, for non-Russian speaking people was actually sales. Then success yeah. And before that, finance, but finance probably is the, the only person who is uh, who is outside of, of the box here and uh, mostly running operations okay. rather than uh, in, in sales and marketing. We're now looking for VP of marketing and we're, we, we expect this person to be most likely from UK. So so that will be also definitely non-Russian speaking employee. And uh, uh, because of that, mar marketing discussions should be uh, in English by now, uh, now by default. Uh, and the idea here is that when the person joins, he can scroll through the history and he can get some context for, for the last few months of what was uh, highly discussed and refer to some uh, documents and topics. So all the presentations on the slides are now in English as well. The most complicated part is running our founders. We have this all hands uh, monthly calls. Uh, with we call them Q&A with founders, but basically this is just a sync up for the whole team. And of course, okay. initially that was all only Russian speaking and it was easy because most of the people were Russian speaking. Not, not most, like 100% were Russian speaking. But then even when we had already two person who are not Russian speaking, we tried to switch to English and it became like 50-50. But it was really difficult for everyone to, 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 to follow on on that. Yeah. Now Got it's it. by default English and, and, and only English. But I think engineers are the guys in our team who are still mostly sticking to Russian because we don't have... Sure, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, you have to let those, those teams do, it, do what they want to do be, to be comfortable. Yeah. Absolutely. And how many now... Um, it seems from that announcement that you've got more than 70,000 customers. How, how many customers do you have now? Well, um, as a company, we've, uh, we've uh, always had our free tier. So 
if we collect every single user on the platform, that'll be around 70,000, I think, of active users, maybe, maybe even a little bit more than that. We're very close to hit 100,000 uh, registrations, um, or maybe even we are over that. Uh, but of course, we're trying to count the active users. We're not trying to count the registrations because it doesn't really make sense to count registrations. Uh, gotcha. But on top of that, we uh, we also so this is the free free tier users, and then we have paid customers. Paid customers are we, we, it's less than that. I I think that's a few thousand uh, paying customers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, the reason why we have so many free users and not that much of paying customers is because initially we were not focusing on sales at all. And in the early days when we were building the, the product, uh, we had this product manager's mindset. And the only thing that matters for us is to iterate the product constantly and be sure that we tried all the concepts that we wanted to try and reach out with this concept to the public and give them an ability to try and use them. And the only thing that matters for that mattered for us at that time was whether you are paying us anything or not. And if you're paying us anything, we were already happy. And no matter what the price level was. Okay. But then yeah. we started to go like bigger and bigger and, and bolder and bolder. And now we're thinking of, of our target audience more of upmarket rather than mid-market. And because of that, again, it's fine for us to have a lot of free users. We even extended our free plan uh, after after we closed the round because we now feel we can deliver more, uh, provide more value to, to our free uh, free tier users, and but at the same time our sales and marketing is focusing around uh, top tier customers and 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 we are we understand how we can really help them build a much more robust teams and and optimize their business processes. While small and medium companies uh, can optimize using the platform uh, through, you know, um, having everything in one place and it, being able to run multiple uh, uh, scenarios through the platform as we support different different parts of the product management process. Got it. Yeah, I'm noticing on the pricing page that you've got two different pricing tabs for one for startups and then one for companies. And I suppose that the one for startups is more like a legacy pricing, yeah, reflects yeah. more of the earlier an earlier period where there's a there's the free plan, and there's a 55 euro per month plan. But then yeah, with annually. companies and the default tab now is companies. When I went to the page, Absolutely. it was all default on the companies, and and we've got plans advanced and then pro, all the way up to enterprise. And I guess everything is self serve up until enterprise, where there the CTA changes to a talk to sales. Called more, more, more or less, yeah. We've been focusing mm-hmm. on self-service from the early days, and that was the concept we were trying. We didn't actually know that it was called self-service. We kind of learned the proper language for that part later in uh, during our career as founders. And we also understood that the things we were doing in the early days were called product-led marketing compared to sales-led marketing that we're trying to adopt now. I can tell you a secret that we will probably depreciate some of the plans that your startup plans that we have at the moment, and instead of that, we will continue expanding our free free offer. So uh, that means mm-hmm. that even some of our paying customers may switch to to a free plan and pretty much remain this. Will have pre- the same uh, offering that they had as as paying customers before. Interesting. Okay. Uh, yes. So it's kind of moving uh, in both both directions. So trying to actually, you know, some of the low paying customers customers might might downgrade to the free plan, but then you're going to have others that you hope are going to upgrade to the, 
to the higher plan and you're going to yes, polarize yes. your customer base a little bit more. The initial idea is actually to give them an ability to upgrade to some higher plans. Maybe we'll provide some discounts, decent for them because they've been with us for several years already. Uh, but the, 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 like the, the offer that we have at the moment in mind is that we probably will still keep some self-serve uh, part of the platform and there will be some, some basic offerings for middle-sized companies. We understand that uh, we cannot like fit everything into the, into the free option for them, uh, but also enterprise might be kind of too expensive. Uh, so, so we will we will try to tailor some some special spe- special offers for them. But but we see that the most value comes from the companies that are scaling their businesses, meaning that if you are working with several geographies, or you have multiple products in one geography, then this is our sweet spot, and this is where we can help you optimize and and work more effectively. And because of that, that that is usually like a little difficult, you know, to to run on a self-service model because uh, you don't want to like really over-optimize the pricing here. And it's more convenient to have some account executive talking to you, understanding the kind of problems that you're facing and provide a solution for you and then give you some uh, some good, good pricing. We're not trying to be extremely expensive, nothing like that. But we, but we understand that we, it's just very difficult to implement this uh, approach to into into you know some standard offers or some standard calculators that you can use while subscribing on the service. Also, big companies they have very complicated processes. I really mm-hmm. kind of this is where I I stop understanding things because I, I it feels like so much complicated. Sometimes you have to do procurement, you have to do security, you have to do so many uh, you know frictions to 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 get them on the platform. And just because of that, you think that. I don't want to sell them at a lower price because I'm already kind of engaged in so many actions on, on my side uh, that yeah. it really makes sense for you to to to, to get high price a high price level just to cover these uh, costs of what of, is the going. What is the typical sales? What is the typical sales cycle length for a, a big enterprise customer? Um, for big enterprise, I I would say that it is something around two three months on average. So in okay. several cases, it might be more than six months. It really depends on the customer. We have some really big companies on board. I'm afraid I cannot share them as uh, the names as we are blinded by by the NDA, but uh, but they're really big, trust me. And Great. With, yeah. one, with one of them, we were in in the. I think it, it took us nine months, all in all. And and at certain point, it became like a little bit painful because we we couldn't figure out whether they are signing for the platform or they're not. And eventually they signed up and, and eventually it all ended up really, really well for us. But the process was so much complicated. We we, we really didn't didn't know what to expect at, at, at certain stage. And but I'm happy yeah. we, we 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 got them at the end. Yeah. Well what what I'm seeing in this on the website and, and this is something that I really like and I think it's it's a great practice is that you have a solutions you have a solutions tab in your main navigation and you're splitting that between different types of uh, functions in an organization customer support product product managers and uh, ASO and marketing and then you also have some industries um, gaming finance and shopping I presume that's um, both e-commerce and also bricks and clicks 
And, and I do like that because it allows a persona, your different personas to self-identify either by their role in the organization or by their industry. And I think that's a, that's a great practice. And I really love to see that. Um, I, I want to pivot over now to some best practices that you all are, are leading the way on when it comes to marketing a mobile app. Mm-hmm. And there's this concept of ASO, and you all are, are a big champion of this, App Store Optimization. We, uh, we've done a little bit of this as an agency. We're much more familiar with the classic SEO, Search Engine Optimization. Mm. Can you just tell us what ASO means and is it how similar is it to SEO and how is it different? Yeah, sure. Um, I, I'm very proud to say that my co-founder, Anatoly, uh, was the first uh, ASO uh, legend in, in Russian market. And he was also, I think, for two or three years in a row, one in the top 20 people worldwide in, in, in this area because he started uh, investigating this part of, of, of marketing very early on in, in this travel startup before before building AppFollow. Then he even had a some experience as a consultant, uh, but then he quite quickly understood that he wants to build a service out of that. And these ideas were early on injected into AppFollow, and we always had this part of the platform where you could work on the visibility of your application. Um, so if we're speaking about what is ASO, in, and if you're familiar with search engine optimization, App Store ser- uh, search optimization pretty much is the same concept. So I mean, uh, logically-wise, they are similar. The difference comes uh, from, uh, from the understanding that App Store search optimization works only for, for the App Store. So it's very specific mm-hmm. for, for a platform. And also, it's important to understand that, well, if we're speaking about web, search engine optimization mostly means optimizing for Google, even though there are other search engines, but but we know that the default one is Google nowadays. Uh, And app store search optimization, there are two default states. One is Apple, the second one is Google. But also, there are a few minor app stores, and some of them might be a, a big deal for some of our customers, like Amazon App Store. And you have to optimize there on a, uh, like in, on a, you know on a, in the third way. So so it's very difficult to to do one thing and 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 think it would work on any platform. Some of the some of the ideas behind the ASO are similar, uh, both for Apple and Google, like keywords. But as an example, there's a keyword section in uh, for, on Apple platform, and you can literally just list some keywords you want to rank for. Uh, in your app description, it won't be visible for your in, during the listing, but you will be indexed for these keywords. And there's no such thing in Google. So you have to think of these keywords and then think how to inject them into your app name, into your description, into uh, uh, some some other parts of the uh, of the app description that you're get, getting, and then hope that it will be properly indexed by Google Engine, and then you can pop up in the search. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, um, but Apple but, actually Apple allows you to input the keywords. Do you think Apple is giving a little bit more weighting to the keywords that you list in the description there, since they're giving you that option? Um, as far as I know, the most important part is the app name, but it is r- relatively short, so you, you you have to use like the really most important keywords there. Then you have also a short description, which is also indexed and is very valuable in terms of uh, discovery. 
Uh, and then comes the keyword section. Yeah. So these three mm -hmm. would be the most important ones. Uh, you say the but, app name, uh, Eugene. Uh -huh. Sorry. Uh, do you mean the the actual brand name of the app or or the title that you uh, use? The title. The, actually, <laughs> there's some like you know little uh, tricks there. Uh, you can use your brand in in your developer's name. Say if you're Facebook, for example. So you publish all applications of Facebook. And that's why you don't need to reuse it, for example, in your app name. So if if you have this, uh, I don't know what WhatsApp or Instagram, you don't need to like say Instagram by Facebook to be sure that you will be searched uh, through the Facebook keyword there. As as you you're published by mm -hmm. Facebook, it will pop up in the search uh, itself. So you can think of what else you can use in the name, and that should relate to what your application does. So with Instagram, that will be something like, I don't know, photos or stories or whatever you feel important for the moment. And you can add mm -hmm. this uh, to, 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 the, to, to the name. Uh, a nice trick here is that some growth That's hackers, a great tip. what they do is they are actually not using the brand in, as the, in the first part of the name, but actually they are putting it at the end of the name. But all the keywords are equal there, so it doesn't matter for search. Mm -hmm. But then you can have some kind of a catchphrase in the beginning. Though it should be short because it's only 30 symbols, 30 characters. So it's- it, it, So you could say something like, uh, share photos with Instagram. Yeah, yeah. Instagram will be, sometimes it won't be even visible. Truncated. Some device. It'll be truncated. Yeah. yeah, 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 right. Wow, that just sounds like SEO, I don't know, 10, 10 years ago <laughs> or 15 years ago. Um, should we put the keyword in the beginning or at the end? Uh, what, what, where does it get truncated at 70 characters? Yes, yes, um, absolutely. Yeah, that's why yeah. They, these concepts are really similar. So, I mean, if you if you have a good experience in search engine optimization, you can reuse these logics when you're doing apps or search optimization. But you have to learn the platforms. You have to know the mechanism behind the platforms because, as you as I, I assume you're studying how Google indexes you and what works for Google. In a pretty same manner, you have to study how Apple and Google does this for Google App Store and Google Play. So yeah. again, the approach would be very much similar. Yeah. I, I also have a, uh, I'm dying to ask you this question because one of the core tenets of SEO is, is link building. Do links matter for App Store optimization? If I were to build a, build a bunch of links to my app, yeah, does that help? That's a good one. Uh, my short answer would be no, because when you're searching inside the App Store, you there there's no links on on that, and App Store or Google Play doesn't doesn't take that into account. But if you do search on the web and you want to find this application through through Google on 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 on, on in your browser then that, that will work. And that definitely uh, can be a, a good way of, um, of popping up in, in the high-end search results in, in, on, on, on this yeah. page. Um, um, I mean, uh, App Store itself doesn't have this thing like links. Uh, it's a, it's a, each app has just one, literally one link. In, in certain cases, if if you do localizations, then it can be adjusted to a country or to a language, a country in App Store language in Google. Uh, but still, it's pretty much the same app and pretty much the same link. So it doesn't really uh, differ yeah. that much. And, uh, okay. and what you can do, especially in Google, what you can do is that you can, if, you, if you're a publisher and you have multiple applications, 
then you can build this linking between uh, uh, um, between your your own applications and it might and your your main app can be uh, can have links to similar apps and one of them would be or several of them would be your own applications also you have this section on in app store so again it is good to to publish several applications if they're interconnected under one publisher and then you probably can get some traffic so users search for an application found your main application then recognize that maybe it's not what he was looking for but he saw some some something else that you published and maybe it did what relate to him so there's yeah. A little bit similarity, but there's not such a thing as a link building uh, in app stores. Okay. Uh, which then brings me to the big one, which is reviews. Mm -hmm. Now, this might be a myth, and hopefully you can bust this myth, but I'll, I'll throw it out there, which is the only way that you can get ranked is uh, to, to get ranked organically really well in a category is to have a ton of reviews. And if you're a new app competing with a, a, an entrenched competitor with a lot of reviews, you have no chance. Is that true? Uh, yes and no. So basically, reviews play an important part. And I would say not like we have to think also about reviews and ratings. So they work together. And in certain cases, you, you may have not that much of reviews, but it would be good to have a bunch of ratings. That's why... Well, one of these dark ASO um, techniques is to buy reviews and and or in, in incentivize reviews or ratings through for, for through your customers. Um, and I think Apple and Google are fighting that, especially now they mm -hmm. believe that you know it's kind of not very fair and might be misleading. Also, there's this bad practice of some companies buying negative reviews for other applications for their competitors. So that can also, like, you know, it's basically like negative SEO, negative ASO. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, you, you're yeah. kind of getting a lot of one stars in and bad reviews for your competitor, and that helps them go down a little bit in the search results, and that gives you an, a, an ability to go up. Uh, mm -hmm. But that's that's really dark. So I, I, I wouldn't. <laughs> recommend doing that uh, but unfortunately there's still guys that that, that decide that that's a uh, viable viable uh, marketing strategy but um, so as a newcomer what you can do here is to build in a native reviews and rating request both Apple and Google has them have them and with this native uh, with native uh, user case, you can actually start getting these ratings interviews pretty quickly. An important part here, very much important, is where you build this request. You have to be sure that you are building it into right moment. Um, mm -hmm. We've been doing this with one customer of ours. That's um, a food delivery service. And um, initially, uh, this request for rating interviews popped up just like randomly. Uh, I mean, I think it was like linked to the number of launches of the application. So basically, if you launched applications like five times on the five time, they would ask for review. And it didn't take into account what actually happens with the application at the moment. So it And it might be quite disturbing and, and it might get into your way of as, as a user. So what we advise them to do is to ask for review specifically after the delivery. So when the delivery happens, 
we uh, yeah the, when the service is running you understand that through the application because there is a user flow and and you kind of confirm that you received uh, uh, your order then then this pop up will appear and you can at least leave your rating and that worked tremendously like literally that that's that that had yeah. an amazing outcome uh, and I'm guessing is, that this is the way how you 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 think of this as a strategy of getting reviews and ratings. I guess in the turn in the in the case of the de- of the delivery app, if you ask somebody to review when they're still hungry, the chances of a negative review are going to be a lot higher than after absolutely, and, absolutely, and yeah. And and you right? might be launching application just you know to look where is the courier. So it's not that you are very happy at the moment because you didn't receive yeah, what you yeah. wanted. That's a great tip. Yeah, and I guess so, that's going to be different for all types of different businesses. So not necessarily triggering a, a review request after a certain number of days go by or a certain number of logins or which usage, was, but rather when the customer experiences the first value, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And they're in the best position. Yes, mm-hmm. this, this scenario to ask for review or rating after a certain number of launches or a certain amount of time spending the application was, let's say, the old way of doing that. And everyone thought that, okay, if... Uh, if we're speaking about retention, if the user is with me seven days, that means he is already like liking the application. So I, I will try to use the seven-day retention rate and uh, like double down on that through this rating uh, and reviews request. But actually, uh, you don't know what what happens at the, if you if you don't paying attention to what happens in the application at the moment. That actually can ruin this uh, this uh, uh, this thing. You can mm-hmm. the the best would be that you won't get any rating. The worst would be you're getting one or two stars, which is awful. Even and even three stars is still awful. You you have to yeah. go for four or five. That's 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 your uh, that's your goal. And and mm-hmm. and so think of what is the value you're bringing to the customer when when it's a good point to ask for 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 the review and put it specifically there. And that's not that complicated actually. And again, of course, you can try and iterate, and you might not get the right support. From the first try, uh, you can ask for advice like these guys did, or or you just can just run some experiments. Uh, and sooner or later, I think you can you can fix uh, fix this and understand where where these right spots are. And then hey, you have to think yeah. of how to you know because the ratings are connected. Sorry, uh, last thing, because the ratings and reviews are connected to the version of the application. A good idea here is to ask for reviews from time to time. There are some guidelines on how often you can do that. So a good thing and a good thought is to, to get the first time right, but then also you have to get the, your second request and the third request right as well. And you have to be sure that they're popping up at the right time and place. Mm-hmm. I've got, uh, Eugene, a particular, a particular challenge that I'm facing right now with a client. It's a SaaS business. So they have a, they have a product that has a, a free trial period of 14 days. And then after that, you've... Uh, if you want to continue using the app, you have to sign up for a paid subscription. And actually, the payment is triggered automatically at, at 14 days. So they are asking for a credit card payment information up front. And they are, they are marketing this, and I believe that this is totally uh, fine and ethical, but they're marketing this as a free app because it is free for the first 14 days of the trial period. But in one particular country, they're getting bombarded with negative reviews because people are getting... Uh, they're, they're, it's triggering this payment. They're, they're getting a payment trigger at the 14-day mark after the trial ends. And even though they did uh, submit their credit card information and were probably fully aware that they would be charged after 14 days, either they forgot 
or they just weren't watching that deadline come and they were surprised by this payment trigger and immediately went in and left a negative review. And this is, this is beginning to snowball. And I'm just wondering how um, a company like this, and I bet you there are other SaaS companies that are in the same boat where they, they have a SaaS product with a free trial period. So they market the app as a free app, not a paid app in the app stores. But then people are, uh, people are basically getting hit with that first payment um, rather unexpectedly. And then there's a backlash of negative reviews. Have you ever dealt with this? Have you ever heard of any of your customers dealing with this? And how would you help solve that problem? <laughs> I mean, uh, I, I've heard this case as as long as I remember myself in this in this uh, business. Okay, I, I think it's been there all the time. Uh, in, in a certain sense, uh, so there were no subscriptions in the early days, but in both in Apple and Google. But when subscriptions were uh, uh, added to, to the services and ability, and uh, and, and for, for applications, not just for news. I, I think the newsstand was the first with the subscription-based model. Um, but for applications, uh, uh, very quickly, these use cases start to pop up uh, from time to time. In my understanding, well, there is a certain trade-off. I don't understand why developers are doing that. They want some money, and they believe uh, a two-week trial, a three-week trial, one-month trial, whatever period trial they have, is fair enough for you to get around your head about the application. And then it's uh, obviously they want to start you... Uh, paying for the service, especially if you're using it. Um, but um, again, from from that perspective, what I see if we're speaking about the web services and SaaS companies on the web, they rarely ask for for your card for for your for your uh, banking card. I mean, uh, in most cases, what you would see on the pricing page, no card needed, no, no card required. Meaning that yes, you will get a trial. You can spend some time using the full version of the application, the almost full version of, of this web desktop application. But then, most likely, you'll be downgraded to free tier unless you subscribe. And you have to make this subscription decision quite you know, consciously. Um, in mobile, for some reason, this approach is not that popular compared to the one you've described. Uh, but my guess would be that you should be well, you should consider it really well. And if you think uh, that it is fair that you ask for a card, you initiate the trial, and then you start this uh, subscription uh, uh, automatically. So if this sounds fair to you, you have to be aware that there will be a lot of people for whom that's not a fair way of doing business. And in my opinion, my personal opinion, that actually worsens your funnel. Because not that much people are eager to share their card with you. Now, when again, when they're using these uh, Apple mechanisms or Google mechanisms, it's a little bit easier because they already have your card, so you only have to, you know, to agree. Just give permission. Yeah. yeah. But still, I personally find it very challenging. When, and every time I I hit this case myself, I really want to make sure that I do want this subscription to happen. Or not, and and then I try to follow um, uh, to follow the timeline. The simple way of re like reducing the this negative uh, reviews would be to implement some kind of a notification saying that guys, tomorrow your subscriptions kick off kicks off, mm -hmm. and please uh, consider either you still have time to cancel. Yeah, if you're not happy, or we'll be extremely excited to see you as our paying customer. 
something like that, in my understanding, would be very fair. Uh, and it will, of course, it will again influence because there will be an, an extra step. So there will be a conversion rate from, from this letter and from this notification for you as a, as a service. And you have to optimize on that conversion rate and work on the proper wording and a, and a proper timing. But that will be fair. And, and in my case, uh, uh, in, in not my, my case, sorry, in my, in, in my understanding, uh, that is the only fair way of running things uh, um, uh, through these platforms. Or otherwise, do not ask for a card. Ask it afterwards. Consider mm-hmm. a way of, I don't know, limiting the account, uh, bringing it to some basics, uh, switching ads if you want to still to monetize uh, these guys. And then tell them that you can get rid of all of that. Just subscribe right now, right here, right now. Um, in my opinion, that that's that'll be, yeah. be the best way. But again, I, like I understand that uh, business-wise, that probably might not be uh, that good. And and because of that, you would try to get this card uh, ahead of everything. So mm-hmm. that's that's why. It's- yeah, you have to weigh the weigh the pros and cons of that. Yeah. Um, because I don't know, negative negative reviews are are they're there permanently. I mean, they're not. Eventually, you can try to overcome them by getting positive reviews on top and pushing them down. But they're still they're going to be there. Well, I guess actually, is that reply, true? Now I've heard can, that some reviews are you actually can reply to expire. Both both Apple and Google mm-hmm. allow you to reply to review, and through this reply, you can ask to change the rating and change the the number of stars that uh, that user left. And as you can, mm-hmm. for example, you can do this for app follow and, and we highly recommend to do so if you are unhappy. So focus, focusing on negative reviews is actually extremely important. But, but to do so, you also have to have the case. I mean, if you want the person to change one star rating to five star or at least to three stars, you have to explain what happened and how they can overcome that. And if they ask mm-hmm. for a refund, I would honestly refund that. And, and and because th- that um, would allow you to 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 you know to keep your face and and have another second chance with this with this user, if you are not refunding, if you're saying we warned you, it's your problem, then don't be surprised the one star stays there forever. And not to mention, other prospects are going to see that reply as probably coming across as pretty arrogant and say, ah, this is not the app for me. Absolutely, yes. You also have to think of future customers that are scrolling through the app page and checking these reviews. And some of these reviews will be in the featured section. So definitely catching the eye of a potential customer. And I believe uh, if your answer is that arrogant, <laughs> then that won't be very, won't make not a decision in your, favor, in your favor. Yeah. So Eugene, uh, my next question is to come back to your business a little bit. And you mentioned that you're making a transition towards higher, uh, a higher tier of a customer, uh, larger companies, enterprise companies. And judging by the types of industries that you appear to be targeting, like finance and, and um, retail and, and travel, I'm guessing that these businesses have a significant other channels. I mean, these are not, these are not mobile app driven businesses, but they're businesses that are bringing mobile apps into other channels, like a retail, a retail store might launch an app just as another channel where people can shop. What advice do you have for companies like that who have, let's say, stable businesses, maybe have already been doing a lot through both physical retail presence and web 
and now are bringing mobile apps in as a new channel. What advice would you have to those types of companies to integrate a mobile app into a pre-existing business? That's uh, that's a very good question, by the way. I um, yeah, well, our sweet spot for 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 the customers would be mobile first companies, of course, because these guys mm-hmm. understand this business very well as they were building and and designing for this for this uh, ecosystem uh, from from the early days. Of course, for traditional businesses, that's a bit more sophisticated thing because you have to adjust and adopt what you already have offline or maybe online, but on the web to mobile and mobile experience is really, really different. Uh, in that regards, I would actually advise you to look to, uh, at other uh, applications. So if you remember this concept okay. of computer analytics, that is the point where it actually pays off a lot. And uh, trying to understand what are the best practices and what are the current use cases that companies are, have already built on the market. And I can assure you, there's an app for everything at the moment. There's 4 billion applications. Uh, I highly doubt there's something that is not covered by mobile app. And definitely there are leaders and losers. And of course, you have to, to look at the leaders in, in that regards. And that will help you give an, like, give an understanding what our customers are used already. And then you can start building your use cases based on the existing knowledge. Luckily for us, uh, uh, iPhones and, or Android phones are not that uncommon anymore. I believe every grown-up in this or that way has one. And because of that, every people, every person on the planet has some kind of an experience here. But you have to be sure that you're building towards this experience. You, you shouldn't just you know, pack your mobile version of the website into the app and think that that will work. In most cases, that won't. Mm-hmm. You have to think of the platform. You have to think of how people are using their phones. And because of that, I would say uh, a good first version might have uh, certain limitations. And you don't try to fit all of your use cases and everything that you have on the web or offline into this online experience. Think of, uh, for example, if you're offline, I, I mean, if you, I don't know, um, a chain of, uh, uh, of cafes or, or coffee shops, uh, it might be so that you can start with something simple like just a loyalty program, and that'll be in addition to what your offline offers, and that, and that won't contradict and confuse the customers. And then on top of this loyalty program, you can think of something else like building a checkout process or building some referral programs or building, um, what else? It can be some partnerships with some, some I don't know, brands uh, and even like selling stuff through some physical, uh, some, some physical goods or merchandise uh, through the application. Uh, but, uh, but if you start initially from there, that might confuse your customers very well, very uh, significantly, uh, mm-hmm. my English. And uh, um, because of that, uh, I, I think uh, a simple use case in the beginning will work well for you and will teach your team a lot and give them an understanding of what can be the next step. But of course, it will be good to have some kind of a concept of where you want to go in three years, in five years. So have a bold vision of what you want to achieve through entering the mobile ecosystem. But then in a short term result, doing something very simple and, and, and uh, easy to digest for, for, for your potential customers. And then little by little, mm-hmm. add on top of that more and become more and more complicated, especially if you're gaining 
the uh, customer feedback and you're you're getting your customer base and, and and you're feeling that they're happy with what you offer and in, in most cases they would ask you for something if and if you if you are paying attention to what they ask you would know what your next feature should be there mm -hmm. great yeah hey i had uh recently um someone on the podcast from well she, she's the she she heads up a company called appify and and Jen, she she mentioned that there's a big trend towards uh, no code. Basically, uh, people like marketers, non-developers, uh, the mere, mere mortals like like me and, and the rest, can now build uh, using her platform. They can build mobile apps with a lot of nice functionality without any code, without mm -hmm. any need for a developer. Do you believe in this trend? Do you think that this is something um, that's going to reflect the, what what Wix and Squarespace did to website building several years ago? I think that's a decent approach, and I truly believe that you can build the first version of your application through through no code platforms. But eventually, you will have to move to your own application and your own team, unless you are just building it just for one function and it it, it works uh, out of the box, and, and you are happy with that. Uh, but I mean. Um, in, in my understanding, uh, the more complicated product becomes, the more difficult it is for, for you to sustain it based on these uh, uh, no-code platforms or, or templates-based mm -hmm. uh, platforms. And I mean, of course, we all can build a landing page using Wix or Webflow. And this page can actually perform really well, and we can have dozens of them. But when it comes to your corporate website, at a certain point, you will think of building your own website uh, mm -hmm. Not not reusing any any existing platform, and pretty much the same works with the application. I remember platforms like that already ten years ago, even before uh, this uh, Apple Google mania. Already for Symbian platform, there were some solutions that were helping you to build Java applications. Um, and then when Apple kicked off, initially they don't, they didn't have any app store so they were relying on the web applications and there were several engines trying to help you build web applications that would work on on a, a, a iPhone as well and i am i am completely for them i mean you can quickly build something which will help you test your idea test your user case see how your customers react uh, it will save you tons of money in terms of you don't need to hire that many developers Maybe you don't need to hire developers at all. You can you can build it your, yourself, and and you can mm -hmm. keep your team small and efficient for some time until you I don't know fundraise or you start earning something that can give you some extra ability to hire someone extra, and then but but I mean eventually you will end up with this platform because you will be limited to what is available there, and you will constantly think that okay now I need yeah. that I need that I mean. Um, if you think about mobile experience, it's not only iPhone for the moment. It's iPhone, iPad, or, okay, let's say smartphone, tablet, then smartwatch nowadays as well. And uh, you have to build something throughout all these devices if you want to be consistent. Also, Apple introduced, and Google as well tried to do so through Chrome OS, Apple introduced now the ability for you to build uh, a native application for your desktop based on what you've built on, uh, on for, for mobile. Like you, you can reuse iPad version of the application and adjust it to, to, the, to the desktop version. There might be some pros and cons there, but still it might work. 
And yeah. Google uh, did this with with Chromebooks too, with Chrome OS. I, I can run uh, I can run any Android app in my Chromebook. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's it's an old concept, and but, but I mean, again, it also helps you build a proper ecosystem and uh, convenience for your customers. And I doubt that you can really do that high quality through these no-code platforms. They can do it to some extent, and they are good to some extent. But then you you have to switch to something more complicated if you want to continue developing and growing. But again, for some cases, that might be more than enough. I mean, I am pretty confident that if you are a small chain of coffee shops and you want j- just to kick off with a loyalty program, you can do this on one of those platforms. And you will have a nice app. It will be that simple. It will be integrated with your CRM. It will help your customers, I don't know, get their 10th coffee for free. And that would be ultimately all that you want to achieve with that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But even in that in that situation, Eugene, um, I might be thinking just let's just build that into the mobile website first and let's just make it a, a web experience. Absolutely. Yeah, because I, my opinion is that the explosion, the explosion of apps, and I, I didn't know there were already four, did you say four, four million apps four billion. in total? Billion. Out, out, Billion with a B. Whoops, sorry. No, sorry, wow. no. I mean, that's such a mind No, no, million. Oh, no, no, sorry, sorry, it's a million, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Still, okay. it's, it's a, that's enough. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of that explosion happened at a time where you didn't have the speed of, uh, of the 3G, now 4G and 5G networks. So a lot of these mobile apps were built for an offline experience that when people were mostly relying on Wi-Fi hotspots to be online with their mobile devices. So we're talking about early 2000s here, basically, or... Not early 2000s, but let's say 2007, 8 through maybe 12, where a lot of people were offline a whole lot on their mobile devices and mobile apps solve for that. But now you've got 4G, 5G speeds that are basically as fast as Wi-Fi, and no one is ever offline at any at any moment. And which makes me think more or less. a lot of these companies should be thinking their mobile their their mobile website version should be their first thought, not not building an app that is going to require somebody to download and install something. Definitely. That's, um, that's absolutely, I, can, mm-hmm. I, I, I agree. I couldn't agree more with that. You have to have a proper mobile version of the site or your website just have to uh, support this uh, um, view on, 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 a, on a mobile device compared to the desktop view. And, and you have to try to do your best to provide some really good experience through that. Um, but mm-hmm. um, uh, the thing is that still using a website implies certain limitations. I mean, if you are looking for something with which you should use your geolocation, uh, you, you can mm-hmm. still do it through the website, but it will be a little bit more complicated than running on the application. And that is mm-hmm. when this, you know, using an application starts to pay off little by little. And then if you're, again, if you want to use push notifications application is more convenient for that and uh, but but you're right in the way that your first step here should be building a mobile version of, of your website that's definitely absolutely uh, but mm-hmm. if, but if you're trying to build some kind of a proper user experience and think of some use cases that you want to build on 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 just on top of getting some basic information about what you're doing and what service provides and and I don't know open hours and stuff like that, then uh, this is the moment when the idea of application kicks in and and you have to consider it as a as a as a 
proper way of serving your customers. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, Eugene, I think this has been fantastic. You've dropped some some great tips and knowledge and, and some great nuggets. I really appreciate the time you've spent with me. Is there anything else that I didn't ask you that you were hoping I was going to ask you or anything else that you want to share that you think is going to help our audience? Well, uh, good one. No, I, I actually didn't have any kind of a specific expectations. So I was just happy to share what I know. Um, I could talk more about SaaS businesses because we've been learning a lot and, and getting this knowledge of, of building a company from, from zero to, you know, to, to something significant. And as a first time founders, it's really a difficult job. And I believe I could, I could really share a lot of things about that, but, uh, I do understand that that's probably not what your listeners are looking for. So I was happy to share some some tidbits about the uh, mobile marketing. Well, uh, and yeah, I think Eugene, we're going to, we're going to have to have another session um, because I think that our, our listeners certainly are interested in, in SaaS business development. I had a bunch of questions that I was dying to ask you about uh, basically growing your own SaaS business and the, and marketing and sales related. Um, but instead I opted to go down the path of more helping. Um, I think it's a broader, it's a broader audience that's just generally Absolutely. Wants to know how can I how can I market my own app better, but we'll just have to do this again, Eugene. I think um, there's a lot more to talk about, so okay. I'll be happy we'll, to we'll regroup for round two, hopefully in the near future. Yeah, I'll be happy to. And of course, my ultimate advice would be consider using App Follow when you are launching your application. Uh, I think we're doing a pretty good job here, helping teams run their applications in the stores. Uh, and at least check our web blog because we have tons of advice uh, for the companies and they're not specifically related to the platform. So you can just get some good insights on how Apple operates and Google operates and how you can build on top of that. But anyway, just thank you for inviting me. I was really happy to talk and share this, uh, this piece of knowledge I have. And I really hope uh, uh, guys can learn from, from it when they listen uh, to the podcast. Thank you to Eugene. I guess we can wrap up now and, and uh, I hope you have a great day ahead. And same to you. Thank Irina. you. Yes. Another great episode in the books. Hope you enjoyed it. If you want to get notified when future episodes drop, be sure to subscribe to Paris Talks Marketing on your favorite podcast player. And to learn more about SaaS growth marketing, visit hop.online. That's hop, H-O-P, dot online. Have a great day.